Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is going to be from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk, talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. Good morning. First of all, on behalf of the elders, I'd like to repeat an announcement that Tim made, those of you who were here when we started today, that next Sunday evening, July the 28th, at 5 p.m., there's going to be a very important congregational meeting in the Fellowship Hall, and it's vital for all of us who are members of the congregation to be there, and uh, let me just say, I know you'll want to be there, because it's going to be a very good and very important meeting. The elders are going to be presenting their vision of God's plan for this congregation's future. Uh, There'll be a fellowship meal afterwards that uh, everyone's invited to. And for those of you who uh, may be out of town next week or not able to meet with us uh, on Sunday evening, there will be a repeat session of the meeting the following Sunday morning. I believe that's August 4th during our Bible class hour at 9 o'clock in the library. So uh, we can uh, we'll continue on there as well. This feels very strange to be back here. So. Now that the announcement is over, the official announcement. You caught it, didn't you? Young people, they have no respect for their elders. You caught it, right? Richard is going to speak to us some ancient words. All of the words I speak at this point in my life are ancient words, I think. But I caught it. Little undertow. Little, I, I saw that, yeah. We are blessed with folks from many places today. I just see, I just see uh, family members from Oklahoma and uh, from California, Central California. My two great nieces are here, Johanna and Nora. We're so glad that you're here. Get to go to lunch with them today. And it just, uh, it's a good day for family. Good day to be together as family. I've got a little quiz for you about famous families. See how you do. You don't have to like the family on the screen just see if you can say their name. All right? Well, for some reason I'm having a little trouble here. How about that? Who's that? The Kennedy family, of course, from the White House. How about that? Very good. The Obama family. Hey, the royal family, the House of Windsor. See, it could be worse, right? Just keep that in mind as you deal with politics. We could have a king and queen. Uh, how about uh, Blast from the Past, the Jackson family, and about that same time, the Osmond family. See, it is ancient, right? These are very ancient, uh, uh, <laughs> very ancient illustrations. Uh, here's one of my favorite families. Well, no, this isn't it. I'm going to slide ahead. Do you know who that is? The Hatfields. Those are the Hatfields. The McCoys wouldn't pose. Those are the Hatfields. I've always been a fan of the Hatfields. So that's the Hatfield family, yeah. And uh, one of my favorite families from the 60s, the Adams. And then the world-renowned family, the Shields-Burgess clan of Blackford County, Indiana. That's me right there. Yeah, that's me. I didn't always used to be this old. 
But you know, when we come to our text today, enough of that one. Uh, this, is, this is probably worse, though. Uh, family is all over this commandment, isn't this commandment that we're looking at today? And this is my family. This is the family I grew up in. And um, I warned my sister that she, that she was going to be up on the screen here just a couple of minutes ago. But this is where I was shaped. It's just the truth of the matter. Who I am today goes back to the four people you see there on the screen. My mom and dad and my sister. My character. My values. The faith in God that I have that has been passed down through them. It's a result of this family. Um, I'm so grateful for that family. And... Honoring your parents, parents instilling the faith. That was God's plan. Uh, It was always God's plan uh, for parents to instill the faith and the values that they held, especially faith in God, into the lives of their children. So it's no surprise when you come to the Ten Commandments and you move from this first section of the Four Commandments uh, that deal with our relationship with God. And we look now at the six commandments that deal more with our relationship with others. That the first of these commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, reads, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is a new covenant community coming into existence here at Mount Sinai, becoming a family, becoming a covenant family with God Himself. And if they are to survive in a new pagan surrounding, in a promised land, if they are even, if even especially to thrive in that new setting, then their family unit must be strong. If they live that way, we're told that their days will be long in the land. That's not a promise to an individual child that they will live a long life, which is essentially obey your mom and dad so they don't kill you, which is another uh, command that's not in the Bible. This is a promise to the nation. This is a promise to Israel. If this goes on, if the transmission of the faith continues from parent to child, if children are honoring their parents, and if parents are then instilling faith, as we heard from Deuteronomy 6, as if parents are instilling faith in their children, then what's going to happen is that heritage of covenant faithfulness will be passed down generationally, and Israel will stay in the land for a long, long time. If it doesn't, however, if that covenant connection of, and, and heritage fails at some point, There's going to be trouble. Forty years later, when Moses is talking to the generation about to enter the land of Canaan, he says this in Deuteronomy 11, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Why? so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. This is the transmission of covenant faithfulness in Israel from generation to generation. Parents being honored by their children and parents who are teaching and instilling the faith in their children. And Moses says, if you keep that up, we're going to go into this land and we're going to stay there a long, long time. If you read further in Deuteronomy 11, he goes on to talk about what will happen if this communication within the family breaks down and the family fails just a timeless principle, isn't it? In any culture, in any society, in any country, in any place, when the family begins to disintegrate, 
culturally speaking, that culture, that country, that nation will begin to falter. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to talk about how that's begun in our own setting, in our own country. But it's so true for the church. Everything that we're reading here in the Old Covenant with Israel comes right across to us in principle in in the body of Christ. We are a covenant community. We're a community that has a heritage of faith, and we have the same dynamic at work in our lives of passing down the faith generationally. It is a timeless principle. But this talk of honoring your parents, what does that mean? Probably several things come to your mind, but the word honor, it's kind of ambiguous. It's not really spelled out, is it? Other things are said more clearly in other passages where some things are specified. But let's just consider today what is encompassed in this word honor. First of all, of course, it's a respect. It's a respect for your parents. And a a respect... A respect for the position and authority and the role that God has given to parents that they have in a family. For some of us, respecting our parents is just so easy to do. It was easy to do when we were growing up. It may still be very easy to do because we had parents who lived worthy of respect. And we respect them and we honor them in that way. For some, it may not be so easy. There may be some of us here today who have parents who haven't been living in ways that are worthy of respect. And we may think, well, how in the world can I respect that? How can I respect them? Well, there's a sense in which, you know, as Peter says in First Peter, honor the emperor. When Peter wrote that, the emperor was named Nero, who was about to unleash a persecution against the church and throw Peter himself in prison and see to the death of the apostle Paul. And yet there is a distinction made there in Peter's writings that the emperor is still someone who is in a position of authority. It wasn't, it wasn't respecting Nero for what he was going to do or his character. And for those of us who might have difficulty finding a place in our heart really to respect parents that may not have lived up to those kinds of standards that are worthy of respect, focus today simply on this, that they are the channel of God's gift of life to you. Every one of us is here because of a father and mother. Biologically, we are here. God's gift of life has been channeled to us through them. And for that reason alone, there can be, at least to some degree, a gratitude and a thanksgiving. For the rest of us, I think of what the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 23:22, Listen to your Father who gave you life. We have a mother and a father who brought us into the world. We're to respect them and listen to their counsel. And we'll talk a little bit more about the nature of that in a moment. Some of us who are here were not raised by our biological parents. Ellen and I have four kids. We are not biologically related to any of them. I get it. I know how it works. And a lot of us here were raised by parents that that we're not biologically related to. Thank God for that, for your parents who brought brought you life. And thank God for the parents who've led you into spiritual life who've taught you about the Lord, who've nurtured you and cared for you. There's a a double respect there for those of us who have that kind of situation. But this part of respect, it has to do with valuing their age. Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. It's interesting to me that God 
connects respect for the aged with a love and a fear for him. He's saying, this is important to me. This is important in the covenant community, that there is a respect for those who are older, a respect for the aged. And I don't know if this is true, but I've got a feeling that every generation of youth, probably at some point along the way, even if mom and dad are pretty cool, still, it's like, yeah, but you know, they're a little behind the times. Yeah, I, I, I got great parents, but you know, they're they're a little bit behind the times. They, yeah, they're you know they're doing their best. You know, we kind of you know kind of that kind of attitude. I don't know if you've ever had that or not. Some are smiling, some are looking puzzled right now, so I'm not sure. But um, I would say to the generation growing up today, as one who's probably had that same thought 50 years ago, uh, don't mistake technological savvy and pop culture awareness for wisdom. Grandma may not be able to text anybody, but I'm telling you, and maybe she can, but she's got wisdom. She's got something more important than all the things that look so shiny and new in our world. There are things that are so much more important than that. I, I, I feel kind of like you've probably heard this saying from Mark Twain. I think it's probably been said over and over again. He said something to the effect like, I, it's just amazing to me how much my parents grew in knowledge and wisdom from the time I was 14 to the time I was 30. You know, um, isn't it amazing how that happens? Or maybe how we as children grow to appreciate the wisdom that was there that maybe that we couldn't see. Um, Respect them. Respect them. And then in the New Testament, of course, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 6 to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now he's talking to the church. He's talking to a community of faith in the church at Ephesus. And notice how he makes this point. Do you notice the little quotation marks that follow the next words? Honor your father and mother. Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do you see what what the Apostle Paul does? He quotes the fifth commandment. Now, there's a little addition to this, that it may go well with you. That's out of the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments. You know, they appear in the Old Testament twice, in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Here, Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 5 to the church, to children and parents in a church setting. The same kind of covenant community of passing along the heritage of faith. And he says, it will go well with you. How many of us can look back on the time we were children and think of times that we did not follow our parents' parents' advice or just something they told us to do or not to do, and it did not go well with us because we didn't listen? And how many times can we look back and see moments when we did listen and it went well for us? But I think a couple of things are going on in this text. One is Paul is saying, you obey your parents in the Lord because of your respect for the Lord. Because of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you honor the position that your parents have in the home and you obey them. But at the same time, doesn't that also sort of qualify the extent of our obedience as children? We obey our parents in the Lord as far as it goes along with what the Lord teaches, as long as it coincides with the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. But respect has to do with being obedient to our parents. It's interesting and instructive that when Paul describes 
the pagan world spiraling out of control into sin. Well, let me just read what he says. When he talks about this world without God, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Isn't it something how the disobedience to parents, this lack of respect for parents, is tied in with this downward spiral of a society that's lost its connection with God? Because, of course, parents have been placed in that role in the design and in the order of God's creation. And so part of our respect is being obedient and recognizing the role that our parents have. But there's another aspect of caring for our parents and honoring our parents, and that has to do with meeting the needs of our parents, especially physical, material needs. It is implicit in the fifth commandment that children are to care for materially and physically, financially, if we want to use that word, their parents. That children have a responsibility in that end. And the reason we know that that's a proper application is because of what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 15. In Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and it's all about tradition and law. But Jesus uses an example out of that setting to make a very important point. The Pharisees have come up with a, a tradition called Corbin. A tradition that says uh, you can devote anything that you own, your money, your possessions, your house, your property, your gold, whatever, your savings, everything. You can dedicate it to the temple. Now, you don't actually give it to the temple when you make this dedication, but you dedicate it to the temple for a future gift. And once you do that, once you've said, hey, this is all God's, then you are no longer allowed to use those resources for anything else. This was a loophole used by the Pharisees, Jesus says, to break the fifth commandment. He calls them hypocrites. He said, by your tradition, you, you force people to break the command. And the command he's talking about is honor your mother and your father. They are not caring for the, oh, sorry, Dad, I'd love to help you, but you know, the 401k, yeah, that's God's. So can't help you out this year. Hope things go well with you. And Jesus is pointing out how, how people in his own day we're, we're trying to basically shirk their responsibility toward their parents through some, some really nifty religious traditions. And Jesus calls them out on it. He's angry about it. He denounces them. He calls them hypocrites. In other words, Jesus is making a pretty big point about the need for children to honor their parents by caring for them and providing for them as those needs arise. And as we grow older, and many of us here have experienced this or are on the cusp of it, and some of us have experienced and gone on to be on the other side of this equation. But as we grow older, there comes a time when to a certain extent there becomes a reversal of our roles in our families. Where we as children become caregivers, become like the parents. I know I've mentioned to this before because I've read something 30, 40 years ago that I've never forgotten. Now I've experienced it. It's kind of weird to, re to think about it now. But there's a columnist years ago named Irma Bombeck who talked about the time she was riding in the car with her mom. She was taking her mom to a doctor's appointment. 
And as they're riding along, she's driving, and all of a sudden she has to stop suddenly. And as she stops suddenly, she just instinctively puts her arm out to keep her mother from moving forward in her seat. And in her article, she said, I knew at that moment that the time had come. I was now protecting my mom. I was now caring for her. And some of us have been there. We have experienced that and experienced it, as I said, on both sides. Adult children are given the opportunity and the blessing to reorder their lives, their time, and their money to bless and to care and to honor their parents, just as our parents have done for us. We who have received care now, in turn, give that care. When I saw that this text was falling to me in our, our order of uh, the Ten Commandments a few weeks ago when we were planning out the schedule, I started thinking about this and how, how different this commandment sounded to me 50 years ago and 30 years ago and 10 years ago and today. How it changes in time. When I first dealt with this commandment, I was probably a teenager, maybe even a child. I memorized these commandments as a kid. So, uh, and uh, I, you know, felt like I knew what it was. And, you know, then as I got a little older, I watched my mom and dad. I watched my mom and dad take care of my mom's mom. My grandma lived well into her 90s, lived around the corner from mom and dad. Mom and dad were there every day. They cared for her. They provided for everything she needed. She wanted for nothing. Um, my dad was in his 70s caring for his mother-in-law in her 90s. And, uh, and I think of what it cost them. It cost them something. They couldn't go do things that other people were doing because they were caring for my grandma. There was never a complaint about that. They just they cared for grandma. They were also blessed in caring for her. And then a few years ago, a generation jumped. My sister and I and our spouses, Ellen and Curtis... We had the honor to care for our mom, to provide for her, to serve her as she had taken care of us all of our lives. And about two months ago, I'm on the phone with my daughter, and she said, Well, Dad, you know when you retire, you've got to move to Oklahoma so I can take care of you. I think she actually said Ellen, but I think, I, I think I'm part of the package on that. I think I, think I get included, too. But uh, I said, well, thank you, dear. Uh, try to change the weather and maybe we'll move along. Uh, but uh, it's weird how things can come full circle in your life. And, uh, and it's a blessing. And I think it, it just demonstrates uh, the way of the Lord and the plan that God has. There are so many people here who know just exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there on one side of this or the other. We who as infants were fed and changed by our parents and probably showed very lack of appreciation for it. There comes a time when those tasks fall to us in caring for them. There's something very sacred about those quiet, unseen moments where parents are being honored and respected and God is being honored and respected as well. There's a passage in 1 Timothy 
chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul's wanting to make sure that widows in the church who have no one around them will be cared for by the church. And he says, honor widows who are truly widows. But, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You hear the heart of God in that. You hear the importance of that. We can get all excited about this little thing and this little thing and getting all our T's crossed and our I's dotted. And God just says, look, if you want to know what I'm really looking for, if you're not taking care of your family, there's no hope for you. You're worse than an unbeliever. You've denied the faith. And we see how the heart of God is in this. So that we care for our parents, we honor them, and we also give them emotional support and emotional care by continuing to be a part of their lives, by visiting, by telephone calls, by whatever means is necessary, however we can give that support. If there's grandchildren involved, grandchildren need to be there. Grandchildren need to be a part of that. I think of my great nieces here and how they spent time with their great-grandmother and what a blessing that was to my mom to keep our older parents in honoring them connected with life and with the family, and also providing spiritual support. Because sometimes, depending on the individual, sometimes a person comes toward the end of their life and they have questions and they have concerns and may even have struggle with some fears or some assurances about life beyond. And we can be there to reassure them. As they instilled... As they instilled faith in us, we can reassure their faith as they come toward the end. So important. On the cross, Jesus was dying and he looked out and saw his mom. He's the firstborn son. It's his responsibility to take care of her. And we know how that scene unfolds as she stands there next to John. And Jesus says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And there's not anything more godly than caring for your parents, honoring your parents, respecting your parents, and forgiving your parents. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. For most of us, this is so easy to do. Unless you happen to have the one perfect parent in the world where there was no need to forgive, and maybe some got close to that, um, but most of us, it's like, yeah, I can, you, you, maybe you can think back to one time. I can, th- I can only, honestly, it's weird. I can think of one time where I thought, Dad, you, oh, I've got words with you about that one. But that was like, one. honestly, that's the truth. That's very blessed on that. But, you know, we can forgive our parents because guess what? We grow up and we get older and maybe we are, maybe we're not but, but parents, but we have a little more life experience and we realize, guess what? I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. 
I, I've, uh, I've botched up a few things myself. And so for most of us to forgive our parents and not to bring up something from 30 years ago as if it's some monumental thing, we, of course we can forgive. We accept our parents' quirks and all. Our parents aren't perfect, but neither are we perfect. And so we forgive, of course. The slate is wiped clean. How many times did they forgive us? If we really want to stop and think about that issue, I don't. I'd rather just keep moving on right now. For some... And for some of us, it's not so easy. Because our parents, the very people that God entrusted with our welfare, have not cared for us. It may be through neglect. It may be through not being a godly example or modeling faith or instilling the faith or having any concern for your soul. It may be through abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. For some of us, forgiving our parents for the past is a very, very different sort of situation. I don't have all the answers on this, but I know one thing God doesn't say. God never says, oh, just forget that, ignore it, that wasn't important. Just don't, you know, just get over that. Don't let it impact you. We who, in those moments of our own vulnerability in our youth, were hurt and abused in one form or another, that doesn't go away. I think there's probably a story, a different story for every person in every person's situation. Sometimes there can be confrontation. And through confrontation, there can be reconciliation. That happens at times. And praise God when it can. I know in our family, one of our sons went to meet his father 30, 40 years later, hoping for some sort of reconciliation, only to be met with a man who said, well, you know, you're really to blame. It was your fault that I beat you when you were four. And I thank God that our son was able to go to that and try. And I'm so thankful he was able to leave, not with, not with any great sense of loss at that point in his life, but just to be able to let go of it and pray for his dad. And hope somehow, maybe somewhere, somewhere down the line, God could get through to him. I don't have much more to offer than that than to pray. If you're holding on to hatred or something that's tearing you down, you'll be able, by the grace of God, to let go of that. Some of you, however, may need to maintain distance with people because they continue to be sources of pain and destruction. That, that's a possibility where there has to be some sort of buffer between you and a parent because of the ongoing abuse that may be coming against you. And in such extreme cases as that, I don't have a lot of counsel to give other than, I suppose the one positive thing I could say is pray for their soul. If you need to be separate from them to protect your own life, to protect your heart, your health, pray for them. Pray that God can be at work in their life and that somehow God can reach them. Psalm 27. Oh, my father and mother forsake me. The Lord will receive me. Praise God for our Father. 
A brief word to parents. You've gotten off the hook most of the time, except if you're a parent, you're probably going to be a child, and so you've got to have to apply this twice. Parents, I think the greatest thing that we need to hear today, we're fallen, we're broken, we're sinners. That being said, we need to live a life that is worthy of the honor and respect of our children and our family. That needs to be our priority. We need to be that model of faithfulness to them. That is the role that we've been given. To love them, to nurture them, to instill faith in their hearts. Alan read to us from Deuteronomy chapter 6. With this, Everywhere you go, every, every road trip you take, you're a teacher. You're telling them about God. You put the Bible up on the walls of your house. You wear it on your body. You, just, you surround them with the community of faith. Or as Paul will tell the children or the fathers in Ephesians 6.4, fathers don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. This is the cycle that we see as far back as the Ten Commandments, where we initiate, we nurture, we instill, we encourage faith in our children and our families to train them up in the ways of the Lord. What an amazing opportunity that we do this within a larger community of faith, just as the children of Israel did, that we have a church family that's a part of this same journey, that support the same values we're trying to instill in our children. So make sure your children are here. Make sure your children are in Bible class. Make sure your children are getting to know people in their family around here and being a part of the life of this church, that that this is their family, that they belong here, that they serve here, that they minister, that they grow up in the faith. And as parents, be ready to admit when you're wrong. Be able to confess to your children when you've blown it. Model humility. Because sometimes as parents we need to admit that we've not done right, that we've not done right by them. We need to model the kind of faithfulness that we're wanting them to live in response to and realize how vital you are to their eternity. Train them up. Never stop training them up in the ways of the Lord. And a word to the church. Do you know that Israel regarded the disobedience of children as a social offense? We don't have time to read Deuteronomy 21 this morning. But in Deuteronomy 21, when things got really out of hand, you know what they did? What the parents did with the child? They brought them to the entire community. Everybody was a part of it. They recognize this is part of the community. This isn't just the family over there. This is us. Now, I'm not suggesting that after church today you go give little Johnny in the back corner a time out if he's not your child. I'm not saying that we should just jump in and start saying, yeah, and you're grounded for a I'm not saying, you know, that we just go on and take on the discipline of the children around us in our congregation. Not at all. But... But we, how important it is for us to be involved in their lives. How important it is for us to know them. You can do it right now. I hope the day comes when it would be mentally impossible to know the names of all the children because of the size of our congregation. But right now, you can know the name of every child in this church. You can know their names. You can talk to them. You can call them by name. You can find out what's going on in their life. You can be a grandma or an aunt or an uncle or an older brother or sister to them. It's so vital that we in the church are family and that we don't see the, you know, that we see these children 
that we know who they are, that we know a little bit about their life, that we get plugged in and involved with them. One of the great blessings in the church is to watch children grow up. I'm looking back here at Joan, back here, and I think, how many kids have gone through that crater roll or two or three-year-old class through the years? How many, how many people has she seen? And, and others of you who've been here for so many years, you've watched it happen. It's such a blessing. Build up those families. Strengthen them. And when we, when we have young people here who may not have parents or who may not have parents who are believers, we need to do everything that's appropriate and welcome by them to encourage them, to mentor them, to let them know they're part of this family and that they belong to the family of God. Because this is God's design. And all of us can be involved in it. Single, married, children, without children, all of us are part of this family. And all of these children, the way I read the Bible, all of these children are ours. This is the family of God, and we're all in it together. These are our children. Yeah, they got a mom and dad. We'll let them take them home, won't we? But they're our kids, and we love them, and we want to bless them. We want to be a part of their lives. God, by design, created the family, parents and children. The children would honor their parents, respect them, respect their age, Listen to their counsel. Be obedient to them in the Lord. Care for their needs spiritually, physically, emotionally. All the while, parents accept that mantle of responsibility of instilling faith, of nurturing faith, of passing along the rich heritage of faith that we have in Christ. May God bless you as you do that, as you obey it. You know, it's the same today. When God's people obey this command and put these principles into action, blessings flow from all directions. So children, honor your father and mother. And parents, bring up your children in the nurture and the fear of the Lord. May God bless us as a family. If God is not yet your father by faith, he's your father by creation... But if he's not your father by faith, by putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, that you might become a child of God, we as a church would always encourage you to come to him, to come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for us, who welcomes us into a family. We're going to sing a song here just now. And I want you to take note in this song that it's a song about the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And that's the family of God. That's the fellowship of the triune God in whose image we've been created. And as we sing this song, let's consider the amazing fellowship God has invited us into to be a part of that family. And if there's anyone who needs to come to the Father today, we encourage you to. Let's stand. Let's sing together.